Father, just still our hearts now as we contemplate who you are, as we contemplate who your son Jesus is, as we reflect on not only who he is but what he's done and we remember what he is continuing to do in our lives as we open your word help us to take the seriousness of what we're about to do on board we're about to hear from you and so father we just pray your spirit would work in us i pray your spirit would work in me as i speak um, help me to be clear, help me to be faithful to your word. But I just pray for everybody else this morning that you would um, help them by your spirit uh, to listen well, to listen carefully to your word. And I just pray you would do your changing work in us to make us more like your son Jesus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. I believe you've been working through the book of Mark. Um, and you're up to chapter 9 so we're getting towards the cross even as early as we are in, in Mark still and um, it's the journey Jesus is very much on the journey to Jerusalem as we'll see so it's Mark chapter 9 and I probably should clarify because I think it was announced that I would do um, through, till ten, through to 10 I think it was 12 or something but I'm only going to do chapter 9 verse 30 to 41 I just felt there was a lot in that passage, um, enough for us to be kind of getting our heads around this morning. Um, so we'll be reading from Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through to 41. And just so you know, I'll be reading from the ESV, um, just in case you're wondering what translation it is. So Mark chapter 9, verse 30 to 41. They went, on, they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand, and saying the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they were arguing, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives uh, not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be Will, will able soon, will, sorry, will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. 
May God bless his word to us now. There's a story about the, a former president of the United States of America, George Bush. And he wasn't known for being the sharpest and most eloquent of presidents. But the story goes, I don't know whether it's true or not, but the story goes that the president was visiting a nursing home one afternoon when an old man walked up to him, or walked straight past him rather, seeming, seemingly oblivious to who he was. Sensing, that the, sensing this, the president turned round and walked over to the resident and he asked him, do you know who I am? The old man looking up from his zimmer said, no, but if you speak to the lady at the desk, she may be able to help you with that. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But pride is pervasive. Pride is something that is universal. It's something that we all wrestle with. We wrestle with, we wrestle with it when we feel that we've not been heard. We wrestle with it when we, when we think um, things aren't going our way and we're frustrated. We wrestle with it when we know we're right, but others can't see it. We wrestle with pride all the time. And we don't intentionally need to try to be proud, do we? It just seems to come naturally. But we do intentionally need to be humble. Humility is something that we need to work at. Pride isn't. We need to be proactively working at being more humble. And in our passage today, we see three ways that we can grow in humility. Three things that will help us to become more humble and have a more godly humbleness about us. So firstly, firstly we grow in humility by looking at Jesus' humility. Look with me if you, if you would at verse 30 to 32 um, of chapter 9. Here it says, They, when it's talking about they, it's talking about Jesus and his disciples, went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching the disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. Now remember, Jesus, not long before this, had just lit up on the mountain. I'm sure you looked at that a few weeks ago at the Transfiguration. And there was three of his disciples there, wasn't there? There was Peter, James and John. And they'd got a glimpse of his glory. And, it, and the, the, the passage goes on in, nine, in chapter 9 that they walked down the mountain together. And Jesus had charged them to tell no one about what they'd seen. Until he'd risen from the dead. The disciples, the, sorry, they soon caught up with the other disciples who were having a bit of a, a, a kerfuffle. And you'll probably remember the kerfuffle. The kerfuffle was around the healing of a, a, a man with a, um, an unclean spirit. And the disciples tried and tried and tried, but they could not clear this man of the unclean spirit that was, was, that was within him. 
And then we read that the father of the boy humbly cried out to Jesus. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. And then we see Jesus rebuking the unclean spirit and cast the the unclean spirit out of the boy. Now we see they walked on. They walked on through Galilee. And we're told in verse 30 that Jesus did not want anyone to know that he was there. He had no desire for celebrity status. He just wanted to teach his beloved disciples. As the prophet Isaiah has prophesied, he set his face like a flint on fulfilling the mission that 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 his father had set him. And he was not going to allow anything to get in the way of his mission, the mission set by the father. He wasn't going to allow any autograph hunters, anybody with a selfie stick looking to take selfies of him to stop him from doing his mission. He wasn't going to do interviews with the local media to raise his own profile. Jesus was, in many ways, a a first century minor celebrity, but he didn't look or behave like one. He certainly wouldn't have fitted in today in the celebrity culture that we live in in the 21st century we wouldn't have seen him swanning around living luxuriously craving the acclaim of the public and employing agents to manage his own profile no Jesus is very different Jesus passed through Galilee away from the public gaze simply teaching his motley crew of disciples fishermen tax collectors this is the people that Jesus was investing his time in says he taught them in verse 31 that the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and when he is killed after three days he will rise now as I was reflecting on that this week I was struck Why doesn't Jesus just say, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill me? Wouldn't it have been easier to understand? But as you've probably seen throughout the book of Mark and throughout the the gospel accounts, this designation of the Son of Man seems to be Jesus' favourite designation of himself. He doesn't say, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men and I will be killed. He says, the Son of Man will be delivered over to men and be killed. Why does he do this? He did it in chapter 8. He did it earlier in this chapter when he spoke about the suffering of the Son of Man. There's several reasons. Firstly, he wants to remind the disciples of who he is. He wants them to know that he's the one who Daniel saw in in, uh, Daniel chapter 7. A familiar passage to, to many of you here, I would think. And in that chapter of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, we see the Son of Man with the Ancient of Days. And the Son of Man is described as having dominion and glory and a kingdom 
Jesus wants his disciples to know. He wants to remind them of who he is. He wants them to know that he's the one who has dominion and whose dominion is everlasting and whose kingdom will not pass away. Jesus wants them to know that he is the promised son of man. But the other reason I think he uses the term son of man here is because he wants them to know that it's the son, the promised son of man who will be delivered into the hands and killed, killed by man. It's the glorified, majestic son of man that will be delivered into the hands of man and killed. Look at how the disciples responded in verse 32. They didn't understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Why didn't they understand? Now in our context today we we know the full story. We have the full picture. We know that Jesus died for our sins. We know that he came from the glory of heaven. He came down to earth and he came to die for us to make us right with God. These disciples didn't understand that concept. They didn't understand because they didn't have a category for a suffering servant, for a suffering son of man. How could they, they were thinking, how could this heavenly figure of glory also be a figure of shame? Nowadays, world leaders, and even back then for all, all history really, world leaders are chosen and acclaimed because of their perceived strength and power. And sadly, even within the church, leaders are picked because of their charisma, because of their aura. Jesus, Jesus, the Son of Man, goes the other way. He doesn't seek more and more power. He goes the other way. He humbly sets aside his his majesty. He humbly sets aside his glory and his acclaim. He left behind the splendor and the comfort of heaven for the squalor and the discomfort of this fallen world. His leadership strategy was rooted in humility. As Philippians tells us, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And he did that not for himself, did he? Who would do that sort of thing for himself? He did that for us. For you and I who know him as our Lord and Saviour. He came not for himself, but he came for us. He came as he tells his disciples in the next chapter, and as I think somebody had prayed this morning or read this morning, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In this we see the humility of our Lord. It's through the Son of Man's humiliation that we're forgiven. It's through the 
It's through the Son of Man's humiliation that we can have eternal life. It's through the Son of Man's humiliation that we can enjoy the kingdom and glory of God forever. Looking at Jesus makes us humble. Because as we reflect on the costliness of his sacrifice, as we reflect on the costliness of our own salvation, the willing humiliation of the Son of Man for us, how can we, how can we not respond in any other way than humble appreciation? How can we not be humble when we see the humiliation of the Son of Man? So how do we grow in humility? Firstly, we look at Jesus' humility. Secondly, we practice humility amongst ourselves. We practice humility amongst ourselves. We see that in verses 33 to 37. Jesus and his disciples had arrived in Capernaum, a familiar place for them. It was where Jesus' ministry all got going, really, in Galilee. And they settled down in the lodgings. This could have been Peter's house. As we know, Peter was based there. Might have been somewhere else, but it could have been in Peter's house. And then we see that Jesus, as they've settled into their lodgings, he asked them what they'd been chatting about along the way. Imagine this, this group of 12 men just chatting away along the way. What would they have been chatting about? Well, here we find out. So Jesus challenged them, what have you been chatting about as we walked? And verse 34 tells us how they responded rather sheepishly as we'll see it says but they kept silent from the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest how ironic is that on the same journey that Jesus had spoken about his imminent humiliation the disciples the disciples were walking along Engaging in a childish debate about who was the greatest. But before we go and pass judgment on these disciples, we need to check our own hearts. How often do we, perhaps not outwardly, more likely inwardly, in our thoughts, in our hearts, how often do we compare ourselves to others? How often do we compare ourselves to others within our own assembly? Our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we can feel inferior to other believers. But other times we can feel superior as well. Deep down we hate feeling inferior. But we really enjoy feeling superior, don't we? And often we crave that sense of superiority. But 
just as Jesus knows the inner workings of the disciples' heart, Jesus knows the inner workings of our hearts. And he wants to challenge the desires that drive them. Look at how Jesus reacts in in verse 35. He says he sat down. Now when it talks about Jesus sitting down here, this is a posture of a rabbi about to teach. So rather than blowing off his handle, Jesus goes over and he sits down and the disciples gather around. This is a teaching moment for Jesus. And it goes on in verse 35, it says, He called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He's gathered them for a teaching moment to tell them that whoever would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. This is the ethic that they should be following. This is the mindset that they should have. But if we think about it, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all. That doesn't make sense, does it? How can you be first and last at the same time nobody is exalted for being weak sorry nobody wins a race by coming last do they we don't put a gold medal around the person who came last in a race the gold medal goes to the person who comes first nobody is exalted for being weak or slow or dim but we're missing the point because when we think of being first and last, we're thinking about competence. We're thinking about competence. We're thinking of a, of a race or competing for a job or a promotion or getting the highest mark on an exam. We swim in this stuff. We're brought up in an attainment-focused world with league tables and performance metrics. It's all around us. We swim in it. But Jesus is not thinking about competence here. When Jesus says, if anyone will be first, he must have must be last of all. He's thinking of character. God gives us physical and intellectual abilities. Of course he does. And that enables us to do a lot of really cool stuff. It allows us to develop a lot of exciting and beautiful things. To enjoy art. To enjoy technology. To enjoy so many things. He's given us the ability to think and create and do all these wonderful things. But that's not what's most important about us. Because in view of eternity... Does it really matter that we get the job or the promotion? Does it really matter that we get top marks on the exam? Before there's any young people here and their parents are here, don't worry, I'm not saying be, be slack in your preparation. Not at all. We should always give our best. But these things are not the most important things. God has not called us to greater competence, has he? But he's called us to greater lowliness. 
Do you see that in the passage? Jesus calls us to lowliness, not greatness, not greater competence. His sanctifying work is focused on our hearts, not our bodies. Look at verse 36 and 37 with me. It says, He took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus had given them the principle, and now he gives them an object lesson to help them understand and remember the principle. So he took a child. Perhaps this was Peter's house. Perhaps this was Peter's own child. It suggests it was a young child. A child who was just pretty insignificant. A child who had not reached his full level of competence. A child who hadn't really achieved anything with his life yet. He took this child. He brought him to him. He held him before the disciples as they were sat around him watching, listening to him and he said receive this lowly child and you'll know how to receive me receive me and you'll receive the father who sent me this child of insignificance this child that hasn't achieved any element of greatness in a worldly sense receive him and you'll know how to receive me those who belong to Jesus should want to look like Jesus those who belong to Jesus should want to humbly love like Jesus Jesus wants us to get over our self-obsession our competence-driven focus. He calls us to choose, sorry, he wants us to humble ourselves and considers, consider others better than ourselves. He calls us to choose lowliness. He, chooses, he calls us to choose admiring lowliness in other people. Not going and gravitating towards the competent people, but looking for the lowly people amongst us. He calls us to choose and admire servitude. Therefore, I encourage you, encourage us all, including myself here, ask God to humble your heart. Plead with him to humble your heart. And if you don't think you need to do that, then you definitely need to do that. Humble your heart before the Lord. Seek his help. Seek to be more like his son. Repent of the times when you've craved the favour of others. Repent of the times when you've made judgment about a brother in your head that was making you look more superior. Look for ways to encourage and build up those in your assembly not just those who are at the front not just those who are who are speaking more but those who are perhaps quieter those who are more lowly 
those who don't seem to have the level of competence that some other, some other members of the, the assembly do. Look for those on the fringes of your assembly. Look for them and pray for them. Pray for them and encourage them. Thank them and encourage them. This is the lesson that Jesus is teaching us. Don't go to the high and mighty, but look to the lowly. Just as Jesus made himself lowly for us, we are to gravitate towards the lowly brother or sister. And remember that in doing so, you'll know what it is to receive Jesus. So we grow in humility first by looking at Jesus' humility. Secondly, we grow in humility by practicing humility amongst ourselves within our own assemblies. And thirdly, we grow in humility by practicing humility towards other believers outside our assembly. That's verses 38 to 41. The disciples have been out and about in the town and they'd noticed that somebody had been exercising been exercising demons in the name of Jesus and they'd stopped and they'd watched him and how, how did they respond it doesn't say they responded rejoicing the Lord that he was working through this man but they're annoyed they're upset they're agitated they're agitated because this guy is getting success but he wasn't one of them his ministry was working but yeah he wasn't part of their group remember he, he, they must have been reeling because of the failure that they'd had the previous day when they tried to do exactly the same thing so they were still thinking about that in their minds why couldn't we do it, why can he do it we're, we, we're with Jesus all the time, why can this guy exercise this demon and we can't so in their minds they're reeling, they're upset they're angry so they tried to stop him don't do that, don't do that, you can't do that you need to be part of the club to be able to do that you need to be part of our group to be able to do that so they tried to stop him and then they pushed John forward and says you go and tell him go and tell Jesus what's just happened what we've just seen so John was thrust forward and, and told the story to Jesus about what had happened the twelve disciples that walked with Jesus they enjoyed the exclusive status of being Jesus' disciples. There was only 12 disciples. They'd all been personally chosen by Jesus. They'd been chosen to walk with Jesus and observe Jesus and be tutored by Jesus and be empowered by Jesus. But along the way, they'd grown arrogant they come to take pride in their special relationship with Jesus. 
They'd come to believe that they were the only ones who could do ministry for Jesus. So they became zealous to put a halt to anything that they deemed as unauthorised ministry. And by doing this, they were able to protect their own status as the true, authorised, officially trained disciples of Jesus. They'd been schooled by Jesus after all. Who is this guy? Where is he? Who's trained him? Look how Jesus responds in verses 39 and 40. Again, he doesn't blow his handle, does he? He says, do not stop him. Do not stop the man who is casting out demons in my name. For no one does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Again, as I say, Jesus shows amazing constraint and patience with his self-centered disciples. He wants to give them a broader, a wider picture of ministry. The guy who'd been exercising, exercising demons, although not one of the twelve, was clearly a follower of Jesus. He belonged to Jesus. He was by John's own admission exercising in Jesus' name, which is another way he was is of saying he was um, exercising with Jesus' authority. When we say Jesus, when we say we we pray in Jesus' name, we don't say it as a mantra. When we say we pray in Jesus' name, we pray in His authority or with His authority. The man was not authorized by the disciples. But as a follower of Jesus, he was authorised by Jesus. Whilst he didn't belong to the disciples, he did belong to Jesus. So Jesus encouraged the disciples not to worry about this man, not to get uptight about this man. And he assured them that given this man had seen the fruit of Jesus ministering through him, He was not about to derail the ministry project. He was not about to stand up and criticise Jesus or bring an end to the ministry project. We ourselves need to be careful with how we read verse 40 and 41. Because it's not an open all anyone who who professes to be a Christian I would think you would agree is not all of them are Christians. We need to be careful with it. But let me read it again for us to verse 40 and 41. It says, For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Jesus' focus here is not to pronounce who is and who isn't a Christian. That is not the focus of what he's saying here. But rather his focus is to challenge the disciples and for that matter our attitude to ministry. Jesus wanted to teach his disciples that Christian ministry is not the privilege of the few but the privilege of all who belong to Jesus. 
He wanted to challenge us about how we think about the ministries beyond our own. And how this can often be influenced by a heart of pride. Jesus called his disciples and all of us who belong to him to a unity. To a unity that flows from a humble heart. Now that that unity is visible this morning. The fact that I'm here speaking with you. I don't come from a brethren background. But you've welcomed me today and that is a sign of the unity that we have. But we must continue to strive for more and more unity around the gospel. More and more unity around the gospel outside our assemblies. We must continually check our hearts to see that we are not becoming proud of our own ministry. The fellowship that we're part of. We must remember that there's lots of good work going on beyond our own churches and assemblies. We must be careful and watch that we don't become narrow and inward looking in our view of ministry. We must be careful that we're not looking down upon others who are faithfully doing gospel ministry in different contexts to us. We're not to be jealous for the success of our own ministry, but zealous for the spread of the gospel. Zealous for Christ's honour and for his kingdom to grow. Our goal is not to see our individual churches grow, but our goal is to see the kingdom of God grow. That is our mission here on this planet. We're not to be about seeing people come to join us and become more like us. But we're to be about humbly delighting when we hear that people have come to know Jesus through other believers that do do ministry in a slightly different way to the way that we do ministry. And to rejoice that they are being made not like us but they're being made like him so grow in humility don't stop seeking to grow in humility grow in humility by looking at Jesus' humility grow in humility by practicing humility amongst yourselves And grow in humility by practicing humility towards other believers. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you give us. We thank you that you give us your word. Help us not to just read your word as a a good book, but a book that prods us, a book that um, challenges us, a book that convicts us of areas where we need to grow. Father, help us to avoid complacency. 
Help us not to wander or drift into pride. But Father, help us to seek to grow in humility. Help us to not seek, help us to not to seek to grow more and more like your son Jesus. Help us as we look at his example, as we look at his humility for us. Help us to respond with humility ourselves. Father, as we consider our brethren amongst us, our brothers and sisters who we fellowship with week in and week out, help us to seek humility with them. Help us to build up each other, to spur each other on, particularly those who are lesser or perceived to be lesser within our, within our, within our assembly. Help us to build them up and encourage them. And finally, Father, help us to be humble when we look at other ministries out with our own fellowship. Help us to have a delight and a desire to see ministries that are seeing people come to know you, coming to love you, and coming to seek to worship you with their lives. Father, help us to have a kingdom mindset rather than a local um, fellowship, a local assembly con um, uh, mindset. Help us to delight in seeing new people added to your kingdom. Help us to look to you and your son and his completed work for us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.